keep in mind that we're talking about three very big challenging transformations yeah. when we yeah. talk about productization. So then the challenges get to significant change management challenges, all the culture change that has to happen. Products typically require upfront investment and organizations mm-hmm. may not be aligned to the, the type of investment that's required or willing to make it. They involve looking at the market in a different way and thinking about what problems does a market segment have as opposed to just one particular client. Another challenge that we see is that they may do something for one client and think, oh, this is a great product idea, yeah. yes. <laughs> but not actually test and see if it's an idea that many, many clients might want and then be right. willing to pay for. Welcome to Innovation Talks. Join us weekly as we discuss with distinguished industry guests how to refine and improve corporate innovation and new product development. Hosted by Paul Heller, Sophion Chief Evangelist. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the show. I hope you're doing well and having a good, good entry into the fall season. And the weather is comfortable or nice, depending on what your definition of that is, wherever you happen to be. I'm excited today because I've got a guest, Aisha Armstrong, and I can't remember how I first started talking to Aisha, but she's got a lot of experience and expertise in product innovation and product portfolio management, and specifically when it comes to services, B2B services. She's written two books. The first one was called Productize, The Ultimate Guide to Turning Professional Services into Scalable Products. And then Fearless, and I like Fearless. It's how to transform a services culture and successfully productize. You know, culture is such a big part of it. So she's joined us today. I'm going to talk to us about these. Just one more note about Aisha, which is really cool. She serves on some advisory boards, and one of them is a group called the Guild Collective. And check that out. That's pretty cool. And she's a limited partner in Next Wave Impact, which is working to increase women's participation in angel investing. while investing in companies that achieve both social impact and financial returns. So she's doing good things for people, good things for the planet. So Aisha, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you, Paul. It's my pleasure to be here. How are you? I'm wonderful. I'm wonderful. Good. I'm enjoying the fall weather. Yeah. And where are you today? Where are you talking to us from? Today, I'm in Cincinnati, huh? which is where I live. And it's where I've made my home now for 17 years. There you go. There you go. That's a, that's long enough to call it home. <laughs> I know yes. where, where I am. It's always a measure of how long do you have to be at a place before you, you call it home, especially if it's a place that has a lot of people come in like Colorado. So, you know, are you a native? No, I'm not a native, but I've been here a long time. Okay. We'll let you, we'll <laughs> let you talk to us. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, it definitely feels like home. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I should tell us about your journey a little bit and how you got to this area of looking at services and what does innovation mean there? Just tell us a little about your experience. Sure. So I spent the bulk of my career at a company who really pioneered what I call productized consulting. So it was a company at the time called Corporate Executive Board or CEB. It was acquired by Gartner in 2016. But there, what we did is we realized that there was an opportunity to help companies who would traditionally buy consulting services, perhaps reduce their consulting spend by learning from each other. So we would do best practices research, benchmarking, put together executive forums so executives could learn from each other, 
other types of information services to help them really accelerate improvement in their business so they didn't have to spend as much on consulting. And I spent my time there in a couple of different roles. So product development, then product management, and finally product leadership. I then spent a few years at a large media company helping them stand up their first digital products business and create some new products to be sold to advertisers to help them optimize their advertising. And then five years ago, I joined up with my co-founder, Nicole Merrill, and we launched a consulting firm called Vectorus, where we, again, specifically work with, as you mentioned, B2B services, companies who are trying to either productize their services or perhaps innovate and develop and bring to market totally new products like mm-hmm. software products or data as a service products. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great journey there. Great journey. And what led you to write two books? How did you get into becoming an author and what was that like for you? <laughs> well, um, it was a little bit of happenstance as these things typically are. So uh, when we launched Vectorus, I got some advice early on that to grow, I would need to start investing in marketing when just be able to grow based yeah. on my network. So I started writing blogs and publishing them on LinkedIn and Medium and our website. And then fast forward March of 2020, COVID hit ah, and yeah. <laughs> business slowed down for about four weeks, maybe six weeks, and nobody knew what was going to happen, right? COVID ended up being a great accelerator for our business, but at Mm. the time we had no idea. So I thought, well, how am I going to keep busy and do something productive? So I thought, I have all these blog posts, maybe I could put a book together. And that's that's how Productize was born. Wow. Wow. And You know, I talked to different people have always said having a book is a great way to kind of move your area of whatever business you have, whatever products or whatever innovations you have, move them forward. And really, as you said, it's a great marketing vehicle. Have you found that the same? Oh, certainly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was it was good on a couple of fronts. First, it helped us really document the methodology that we found was most successful in working with our clients. And really capture all the success stories that we had been a part of, that Mm -hmm. we had seen. And then finally, to use that as a way to raise awareness about the value of productization, but also some of the challenges that organizations might face as they move to create a culture of innovation, they move to scale, they move to use technology and so on. Yeah, well, I'm sure we'll get into some of those challenges in our conversation here. But let's start with... Why productize services? Yeah, great question. So there are a number of reasons, but they typically fall into to three categories. So the first one is competition. And especially right now with generative AI, we have a lot of services companies coming to us who are, who are concerned mm. that generative AI may disrupt their business. And if they are not actively starting to experiment with how to use generative AI to make delivery of their services more efficient, or even imagine how they could be disrupted, that they could be out of business in a year, two years, and so on. And that's everything from market research to production of different content assets, whether it's video, writing, legal work, even auditing work in the accounting world, 
So all different types of, of services businesses asking themselves this question. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's the first one. And that's kind of the <laughs> the threat, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> the second one is the benefit and the benefit as it relates to the organization itself. So typically, if you productize, even if you are still going to market as a services companies, but you standardize and scale your delivery, you get more efficient. So you can serve more clients with fewer resources. You can ensure that delivery of those services is more standardized and hopefully of the same quality. You could, if you introduce a a product like a software product or a data as a service product, you may get more recurring renewable revenue, and that can increase your valuation. You can diversify your revenue if you develop a product for a new market segment. You can reduce burnout among your services team. So there are a lot of different benefits there. And then the final one is the benefit to the client. So I often hear from companies who are kind of debating how how much do they want to go in on productization. And there's often this fear that their clients don't want something standardized or productized. And I try to challenge them and say, well, what do your clients really want? They want a solution to their problem. And do do they really care how it's delivered or how effective it is? And if you productize, you may be able to offer things at a lower price point, for example, that could benefit your client. You can offer it in a way that more B2B buyers want to purchase, which is more predictable Mm -hmm. (laughs) purchases, and you can bring them along in the process and really design a product that speaks to their needs. So there's, I think there's a client benefit to be had as well. You can scale it. You can serve more clients, have bigger impact. Yeah. Uh, So those three categories of like competitive threat benefits to the firm and then benefits to your clients are kind of how I, I think about it. Yeah, interesting. That's really great that you share it that way. What would be some of the challenges then to get there? What, what, you, what a comp- I mean, I know I, my experience was many years ago, I worked for a company that was a pure consultancy consulting around something called expert systems and knowledge management. So that's how far back it was, but uh, had the idea of creating a product and actually did create a a product. We didn't productize the services offering. We actually created a software product out of the type of consulting we were doing. But, and I, I, I remember the challenges we had, but what, what are the common challenges companies have when they try to try to get there? Yeah. So first of all, just let me give you some context. When we talk about productization of services, it involves three key transformations. So the first one is typically a digital transformation because you're usually using technology in order to do this. So you have all the challenges that go along with digitally transforming a business. The second thing is we're talking about business model transformation, like the way you make money. So you may be going from selling time to selling value. And that can be a huge shift for for organizations. And then the last one, one that you're very familiar with, is innovation. You're trying to create a culture of innovation, which means uh, a culture of learning, where speed (laughs) is valued, where it's okay to fail, things like that. So keep in mind that we're talking about three very big, challenging transformations when we talk about productization. So then the challenge is, 
get to significant change management challenges, all the culture change that has to happen. Products typically require upfront investment and organizations mm-hmm. may not be aligned to the, the type of investment that's required or willing to make it. They involve looking at the market in a different way and thinking about what problems does a market segment have as opposed to just one particular client. Another challenge that we see is that they may do something for one client and think, oh, this is a great product idea, (laughs) but not actually test and see if it's an idea that many, many clients might want and then be willing to pay for. And then another big one, and this is an area where we've just kicked off some new research, is the go-to-market. So you may have a great product for a market segment that's willing to pay, but if you don't also invest in the marketing and sales Mm -hmm. channel for it, then it won't succeed. And most services organizations don't have the type of marketing muscle or sales muscle that's needed to successfully sell products. Yeah. Wow. That's a lot of significant challenges. When you said <laughs> when you said around innovation and okay to fail, and I'm thinking it's not okay to fail if you're a pure services, you're delivering a service. It's like, no, you can't fail, right? <laughs> so it's like right. the exact opposite of of way of being, way of life, way of thinking. And then you talked about the business model. I'm thinking, yeah, how different is that? So these these are they they seem like pretty significant challenges. How do you overcome some of these challenges? <laughs> well, the first one is to get really clear on why are you doing this. So I mentioned those those kind of three categories of of reasons. It, is it competitive threat and disruption? Is it that you think the benefits are worth going through the challenges? Or is it that you're, the, you know, the needs of the market have really shifted? And again, you have to do this if you're going to continue to deliver value. So getting really clear on why are we doing this? And then what are we hoping to achieve from it? That That is a big part of it. Yeah. The second part is is naming all of the fears that are associated with this. So that's why I wrote the the book about fearlessness, yeah. right? It's maybe yep. not the title you would expect to see, but there's a lot of fear associated with going through a digital transformation or a business model transformation or even teaching the organization how to innovate successfully. Yeah. And like you said, the things that make you great as a services organization, right? That that perfectionist tendency or the I'm the expert, I know more than the client, like those things are actually hindrances when you yeah. try to create a culture of innovation. So naming all those fears are important. And then ultimately it requires a new set of capabilities and getting very clear on what those capabilities are and how are you going to develop them? Are you going Mm -hmm. to develop the people you already have? Are you going to bring in new skill sets or mix of a mix of the both? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you, you, you mentioned the fear because that, that, that to me, I mean, I can imagine all sorts of fear. I, having worked in services companies, margins can be very thin. Right. So you really are risk averse, right? Very careful at, at trying different things and, and, and a lot of companies that would put them out of business. So I imagine the fear, the fear could be pretty high in those areas for sure. What should you, you do about that fear? I mean, how do you channel that into success? Yeah. Yeah. Great question. So one of the things that I talk about in fearlessness is this little acronym that I made up called LEAP. And it's really designed first for leaders to apply for their own fears, to manage their own fears. 
and it stands for L, listen to your intuition. Uh, and that means, you know, getting really clear on kind of what is your gut telling you about the business, not just the data. Like, what is your gut telling you really about the threat of AI or the needs of your yeah. clients or, or so on? And this is a place where mindfulness practices can be very, very useful to kind of calm the, the monkey mind and really get in touch with our, our in, inner voice and wisdom and yeah. again, tap into that intuition. So that's L in, in the leap. E stands for expect less than perfect. And it gets directly to, again, that perfectionist desire that we have as service professionals to deliver yeah. like the perfect deliverable. But again, when you're dealing with innovation, you have to rapidly test and learn. And in order to rapidly test, that means you're going to put out things that are, are less than perfect. And that's okay. You can always position them as an MVP or a beta, and, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. enlist your, your customers to help you design. But we can't keep the same bar that we have in services right. if we're going to compete effectively in the, the digital world. So that's the E, expect less than perfect. Yeah. The A is to ask for help. And this gets to, again, I think another thing that makes services organizations successful is they have this kind of culture of individual heroics, yes. uh, right? Partners building a great book of business based on their Rolodex and their thought leadership and their expertise, as opposed to a product which is built collaboratively. Uh, not only within the organization, but ideally also with the help of your of your customers. So that's that's the A, asking for help and getting really good at collaborating and co-designing and co-developing. And then the P in, in in my leap is to practice gratitude. And this is one where I think at first when I started talking about this, I got a few eye rolls because it's, uh -huh. it's kind of feels like armchair psychology or a feel good thing to talk about in innovation and productization. But it, I think it's really important to overcome that scarcity mindset. So you mentioned thin margins and services organizations perhaps not having the capital to invest what they need to invest upfront, both in product development and building sales and marketing capacity. So thinking creatively about how we can get resources in order to invest enough upfront, thinking customers won't, the amount that they will purchase from us is not fixed is part of this, okay. as well as just the benefits of, of practicing gratitude and being an optimistic realist is what I, what I like to call it. I, I really like that because I think it sets culture, right? And it, it, it's it, it's practicing gratitude. It feels almost transformational to me from the standpoint of you move from silos. And I, I don't mean to say that services organizations are siloed, but the, the, the nature of delivering individual initiatives, individual projects does lend somewhat to silos. You got a team over here doing something at one customer. You got a team over there doing another customer. I know in the old days, you used to spend your time on site at those customers, right? And so yeah. you, when you look at a, a product company, it's much more people collaboratively working together. It feels to me like practice gratitude is a, is a way to help get there and move from individualism to team. I don't know. Maybe I'm way off base about that, but that's what flowed no. in my mind as you spoke. 
Yeah. Right. Because again, Paul, you know, as I said, this is a huge shift. It's yeah. digital transformation. It's business model transformation. It's yeah. innovation. I, I've compared it to like putting Serena Williams on the U.S. women's soccer team. Right. Yeah. So. She, she's a phenomenal athlete, but that's a big change from playing tennis to playing soccer. Yeah. And and to do that, you have to be willing to like think big and think ambitiously and positively about why is it going to be worth it to go through this? And if you can't, then why why put your organization through it? Fair, fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Well, you 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 mentioned the threat of, of generative AI, and I was at a conference a couple of weeks ago. You've been to con. It's the number one thing everybody's talking about is how do we deal with it? What's it going to mean to us? Is it a threat? Is it an opportunity? Is it a big wave that's already passed us by and we we missed it or it didn't matter? I mean, it's all over the place. It's just since you mentioned that early on, I'd just maybe say a few more words about kind of the the reaction or the as you're talking to companies what they're how they're dealing with it. Yeah, so the I would say the leading companies right now are actively experimenting with it in two yeah. ways. So the first one is how do we use this as a tool for our existing professionals mm-hmm. to free them up to do higher value work. And again, because it's still early days, we've got real concerns around data privacy. We've got real concerns around accuracy. So it's all about like positioning this as an experiment, right? Right. (laughs) So we're going to test and learn, but we we are wading into the deep end and we have expectations that our our professionals are experimenting with it and documenting what they're learning, what's working well, what's not working Mm -hmm. well. Mm -hmm. And then the second thing these organizations are doing is they are imagining what is going to disrupt them. So they are working on building the product that could disrupt the services of their professionals. Okay. That product may end up not working, right? At least probably not in the short term. Uh, it may end up being something that their professionals could use uh, as part of serving uh, their client base. Yeah. It could be a new product that they sell to a more price sensitive segment of the market, Um, or it could be the ultimate disruptor, right? It could be the iPhone to the iPod. Uh, And and that's what the leading organizations are doing and they're open to it and they are investing in it. Mm -hmm. Uh, So if you're not doing that right now, (laughs) I suggest you start. (laughs) I think that's a very good advice. Yeah. Yeah. Learn it, learn it. Don't let it, don't let it pass you by. Right. And it's the the classic Clay Christensen's innovators dilemma, right? Right. Um, Because we have so much internally that is going to get in the way of something like this succeeding, but this is not going away, Paul. Like th- this is this is like the internet, yeah. and the organizations that don't learn how to use it will be dead. There you go. I, I I tend to agree, right? So so Aisha, you mentioned Leap, which was really cool. Tell us about the four horsemen of innovation. Ah, yes. So <laughs> <laughs> this is something we we talk about in Fearless, and and I already alluded to a lot of these because there are the attributes that make a services culture great but can kill a culture of innovation. So you've got that, what I call knowing, right? I'm the expert, I know more than you, 
But if you know everything, you don't need to go and test and learn, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> so <laughs> it immediately kills a learning culture. Sure. Again, if I'm hiring an attorney, I don't want them to be learning the law uh, yeah, as they're right. advising me. I want them to know the law. But again, in a culture of innovation, you need that learning. So that's that's the first horseman. The second one's the perfectionism. And again, it's hard to iterate quickly if you're keeping that, that same perfectionist standard that you have in a services organization. The next one is the individual heroics. Again, it's my Rolodex, my book of business. These are my clients. I'm the right. expert. I come in. And then the last one is the scarcity thinking. Again, because we're often not delivering anything until a client has agreed to pay for it. And that's the, that's prudent economics in a services organization, especially one that's they're mostly funded out of free cash flow. They're not right, you know, funded exactly. by venture backers, right? right. So yeah, yeah. that's prudent, right? That's important Absolutely. that you think Absolutely. about like, how are we going to pay for this? But yeah, then yeah. you then you don't get the upfront investment that you need to really help a product succeed. Sure, so, sure. Yeah. So so tell me about how how you engage with, with Vectorus. How do you come into a company? What's your model look like? How do you, How do you help companies get there? Yeah, great question. So the first thing we like to do is an assessment to help understand kind of what are they starting with? Do they already have a product team with experienced product managers, perhaps that they brought in from the outside or a couple of people that they've suspect have product mindset? Right. Or are they just in the very early stages of like, oh, I woke up one day and everyone's talking about generative AI and now I need to do what I just said. Like, how do I get started? So trying mm -hmm. to assess kind of where they are and what capabilities do they have? And not just in product development, but in understanding the needs of the market, in product marketing, in product sales, yeah. in thinking about your portfolio of products, right? Because yeah. you shouldn't just be innovating one product. <laughs> right. So that's, that's tr the first thing we try to do is assess. And then we work hand in hand with organizations to build their capabilities. So if they have a, a new product idea that they want to vet and get our advice on whether or not they should pursue it, we'll teach their team how to do the market research, mm -hmm. how to do the competitive analysis, how to do concept design and testing with customers, how to build a pro forma and teach them how to do that. When we first started, we would go in and do that for organizations. But then what we found is they didn't then learn how to do it themselves. Right, and if they're okay. serious about productization, they need to learn these skills themselves. Yeah. So. Yeah. We, we teach them as we're working through a real business problem, like, should we invest in this new product? Should we invest in this new feature? Should we exit this market? Things like that. And then the last thing we do is we give them a community to learn from each other. As I talked about, this is a very significant transformation. And if you are a product leader in an organization like this that's going through it, it can be very frustrating lonely, mm, mm. <laughs> exhausting. These are all words that customers <laughs> have shared with me. <laughs> and having having a space where you can talk to other people who are going through the same kind of transformation is really important. Yeah. So we run peer groups, both for leaders, as well as the practitioners on their team so that they can learn from each other. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's fantastic because, yeah, the type of support 
I need if I'm working in a company trying to do this. Very different than, let's say, the type of support I need if I'm trying to figure out how to do open innovation or how to do startup entrepreneurship. You always need a support system. But this particular journey, this particular transformation has its unique characteristics. So I think that community is a great idea, a really great idea. Yeah. And it was one, again, that was born from COVID. So our clients came to us and they said, well, we can't go to any conferences. You're working with a lot of companies that look like us. Can we just start talking to each other? I said, sure. Nice. Um, nice. Yeah, yeah. So, so you're a B2B services company, right? Yeah, that's what you mm-hmm. are, that you do. And you described a lot of services. But but tell me about your products and how you think about your own dog food, right? Eating your own dog of food. Of course. If we say <laughs> drink our own champagne. Ah, yes. better. <laughs> Yeah, it's fun because I, I, I talk to, to companies. I'm like, let me let me tell you about our journey. So the first one was really yeah. documenting our intellectual property. And that came in the form of both the book, but mm. also the assessment that we do was a way of really documenting our intellectual property about what are the capabilities that an organization needs in order to be successful. So that's the very first step is getting all of that IP cataloged and documented. And then the second step is to think about what are the needs of the market? (laughs) Mm. So classic mistake that we see organizations make is they're like, oh, I have this thing. I'm going to build a product out of it. So what we found was that our market needed to build the capabilities internally. That actually what we were going to market with, consulting services, will do it for you, was not sufficient for them to be successful. So we changed and we developed our own set of educational programming tools and cadre of productization coaches to teach rather than do for our customers. Mm-hmm. Now, we again, we teach in the context of a problem that they're trying to solve, but we're not going in and doing the work for them. So again, that was not a skill set or it's something that we had off the shelf. It's something we specifically developed because of the needs yeah. of the market. And then the last one is the tech enablement. So we have our own generative AI experiments hey. going on right yeah. now. Yes, drinking our own champagne and thinking about what if you were to, to develop a productization coach for everyone, right? So as great as it is to have a productization coach, those don't scale very easily. But is there a way to use generative AI to give product analysts feedback on their voice of the customer interview guide or give them feedback on their dashboard that they've developed analyzing their product metrics, things like that. Right. So watch this space. Hey. Uh, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Great answer, by the way. And I would imagine you'd be a very different company if you hadn't kind of recognize that need to teach versus do. There's a lot of value, I think, in a company that can teach me how to do something and less value, but still important in a company that's going to do it for me, right? I can see two totally different value propositions if I'm going to engage a a company to help me. So that's that's pretty cool. Thanks for sharing that journey, Aisha. Did we miss anything? If you reflect on on our, our little conversation here, I always say that I don't want to hang up and then you say, oh, we should have talked about this, Paul. What do you think? <laughs> did we did we cover the ground? No, I think I think we did. I yeah. mean, the, the one thing that I would say I love to go back to leaders with 
is the why are you doing this? Yeah. Because this is going to be challenging. So if you were doing this just to get an unknown valuation bump, yeah. right? Is it really worth it? Mm -hmm. <laughs> but like, how is this going to be better for your customers? How is this going to be better for your employees? How is this going to be better for the world? Yeah. And getting very, very clear on that, you know, Simon Sinek always talks about be clear on your why, but it's Absolutely. so important with this because it is, it's a pretty big mountain to climb. Mm -hmm. And if you're not clear on your why, don't, don't do it. There you go. Great way to summarize our conversation. Really good. Put you put a nice bow on that one. Thanks, Aisha. Oh, you're <laughs> if welcome. People, if people want to follow you, I mean, I, I recommend people get the books. There, there, there are two books. They're easy to read. They're great books. But if people want to follow you, connect with you, what's the best way? LinkedIn, definitely. LinkedIn, yeah. Yes, good. yeah. I'm we'll make LinkedIn. sure we put your profile in the show notes as well, so there'll be all the links we've been talking about. Aisha, it's been a wonderful conversation. I can't thank you enough for, for taking a half hour out of your day, a little bit more to, uh, to join us and share those experiences for people. Really, really was, was a great conversation. Oh, you're welcome, Paul. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. And take care, everybody. I hope you found that fun. That was, that was, you could just tell Aisha's a great person, doing a lot of great stuff, both personally and professionally. And do reach out to her. If productizing your services, becoming profitable with services is important to you or dealing with the competitive threats that she mentioned, reach out because she's, she's there for you. Take care, everybody. Have a great week. Bye for now. Thanks for joining us this week for Innovation Talks with Paul Heller. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For additional information on today's topic, check out sophion.com, S-O-P-H-E-O-N.com, where you will find plenty of innovation-centric content and corporate best practices. If you'd like to discuss anything with Paul or would like to get in touch with the show, email us at talks at sophion.com. <laughs>